Hi, SMI. This is Christine Dean, and I want to welcome you to our next Conversations with podcast, featuring Sam Banks, Chief Procurement Officer and VP of Supply Chain from Indiana University Health, and Pete Yonkman, President of Cook Medical. Sam and Pete talk about leadership, digital innovation in healthcare, learning how to support the communities around you, and how to create new long-term partnerships and relations while focusing on the entire experience of the patient. Let's listen to this informative and insightful discussion with Sam and Pete. Hi, Sam. Uh, really glad to be here with you today. Appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with you. I like, I like this idea of uh, having a conversation between providers and suppliers and vendors and uh, innovators, and uh, I think it'll be a very good conversation. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Thanks for your time today and, and uh, being part of the SMI podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the perspective today on leadership and learning more about your time at Cook Medical and your experiences. You know, our members are, are really eager to learn about what's going on in the manufacturing space. Um, so if we can get started with a couple of questions. Yeah, for sure. Um, question one, you work for a family owned business. Can you talk about your journey at Cook Medical and how you became the president? Yeah, so we are a family-owned business. We've been almost uh, in business for 60 years. It'll be our 60th anniversary next year. Uh, still owned by the Cook family. Amazing family. Uh, very uh, humble Hoosiers, I would say. And uh, that sort of pervades our DNA as an organization. I've uh, been with the company for 20 years now, actually 21, and started as a lawyer with the company and then um, had an opportunity to help create some of our organizations over in Asia and then Became president of Cook Your Logical, which was one of our companies, uh, and then took some variety of roles. And I've been in this job now uh, for about seven years, hard to believe now. Uh, but that's true. <laughs> it always surprises me. COVID years uh, added a strange time frame in there. But uh, it's been a great journey. I love working for this organization. It's unique in the fact that it's privately owned, uh, but we still are subject to all the same challenges of any other business in the space. Sure. Yeah. Well, congratulations to Cook for your almost 60 years and congratulate, congratulations to you. Um, you know, you've been there since 2001. I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes in the industry. What are some of the milestones you'd say over the past 20 years that stand out to you as turning points in your career? Yeah, boy, it, a lot of change, as you know, in healthcare in 20 years. Uh, one of the things that has been most striking to me is as I came in the early 2000s, I felt like innovation was really at a high level. Uh, it was a time of new coronary stents coming out and a lot of new technologies. I feel like one of the things, sadly, that's changed is the the, the speed and the pace of innovation has slowed. Mm -hmm. um, and that's for a lot of reasons. But, uh, you know, we uh, there are still new, new technologies come out, but it feels like it's harder and harder all the time uh, to move through that. And some of those reasons are good and some of those reasons maybe aren't as good. But uh, that's one big change I've seen. The other thing I've seen is just the, the pace of change in the way that business is, be, is happening in healthcare has, has moved exponentially. And I think even since the pandemic, it sped up exponentially. Um, you know, I'm talking to a lot of customers like yourself and, you know, boy, the, the changes in healthcare are dramatic in terms of just challenges of staffing and the number of procedures that can be done. And you look to the future in terms of an aging population and, and how we'd be able to keep pace with that. And so I know our customers are changing. And so that's changing us as well. And we're having to think about how we uh, look in the future over the next few years. You know, one of the things I hear you mention in interviews is that you can do good business while doing good in community. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that philosophy and how that plays out in your day-to-day -day, um, business activities? Yeah, you know, 
um, this is kind of an interesting story. I, I really do believe that uh, companies have, have sort of have lost their understanding of the impact they can have in communities. Um, you know, I've, I've been in, say I've been in business for the last uh, 25 years or so. And talking to people who have been around longer than that, I think there was a time when companies really were um, actively engaged in their communities uh, in lots of ways through organizations and clubs and, um, you know, being part of the associations that were working on local community issues. I think we've gotten away from that in some way. I know a lot of people do a lot of really good work there, but it's not the default position anymore. Uh, and I feel like there really is miss, we're missing a tremendous opportunity. So I'll just give you one of our, our experiences there. Um, during COVID, uh, when after George Floyd was murdered, we had a, a lot of discussion about what was our role as an organization in times of change, in times of discussions of racial inequity or socioeconomic inequity. And what we decided was that a lot of companies sort of, they felt like they made statements. They made a lot of, they put out a lot of statements about things and they, they talked a lot about it. But there wasn't a lot of action that we saw. And so we decided we're going to just avoid the statements. I mean, we'll be clear about what we are, but really what we want to do is take action. And so we partnered We partnered up with a community in Indianapolis. It's around 38th and Sheridan Street, for those who are familiar with Indianapolis. We talked to a lot of communities and said, what do you need? What, what would you be looking for? And they, what they said was, we're looking for opportunity. We're just looking for investment and an opportunity to do a place for all this work that we've done over the last 20 years to help rebuild our neighborhoods, to help you know, increase training. We just don't have the opportunities though to use that and put that to work. And so we were looking at a, an opportunity to expand our production and we were actually looking to expand our production on a product that was in high demand during COVID coincidentally. And we figured, you know, we could build that facility anywhere in the world, to be honest. Uh, why not put it in a community that has seen disinvestment, that has seen opportunity leave uh, and make it a win-win for everybody. And so we did that and we, we really took a partnership approach with the community and said, you know, what are you looking for? How do we work together? And what we did was we partnered with an organization called Goodwill of Central and Southern Indiana. They operate the facility for us. It's a 50,000 square foot medical device manufacturing facility. They operate it. They provide wraparound services for folks who work there too, which is really important because some of these folks haven't had uh, a career or an opportunity in a highly regulated industry, or they may have barriers like, coming out of the judicial system or, um, you know, housing may be a barrier. So the idea was, could we create this capacity, which we needed, but do it in a way that also was additive so that one and one equaled three or four. And I think we've accomplished that because the employees that work there now, what they talk about is they, they just haven't, nobody's given them a shot and it wasn't for lack of trying. It was just, they just didn't have the opportunity. And so that's the way it means it was good for us. We needed the capacity. We needed the business. We needed that. Um, capacity in our manufacturing group, but rather than just putting it somewhere, you know, outsourcing it somewhere or putting it in a different country or just putting it back in our normal neighborhoods that we're in, why not go to a place that needs some opportunity and help? And what we've seen is that when we did it that way, boy, the forces around, you know, the, the, the state, the city, the, um, all the, all of the organizations that are out there trying to support initiatives really rallied around that. And came to the table and made it cost effective, even more cost effective for us. So it was good business in that sense, but it also gave us an opportunity to meet these amazing people in the neighborhood who have become incredibly supportive of it. So not only is it just a new facility for us, uh, it's sort of a new set of relationships and uh, and opportunities that we see. And so that's that's the idea there is that 
when you have these business opportunities, whether it's a job opening, a new building, uh, a new initiative, if you just think a little bit differently about it, you can also unlock a lot of potential that is out there. You know, I had the opportunity to visit that facility and um, it, it was really amazing. And, and there was a couple of things that stuck out, that stood out to me. One is it's real manufacturing, right? In a clean room, it's not just, you know, taking a bolt and assembling it to something else. It's real manufacturing. And there was a real clear plan to grow the capacity step by step in, a, of course, a quality and controlled way. But the other thing that was amazing to me is the wraparound services that you talked about. And I, I never had considered how much support some of these folks who've never had a chance, never had a job needed. And, you know, the fact that you have staff to handle a lot of things that maybe most of us, you know, in the in the hospital world or the manufacturing world would never consider offering to uh, an associate on our team. So that was amazing. And then the other thing, I, I believe that uh, you're locating what is known as a food desert. And I think you guys were working on a, putting a, um, a grocery store right across the street from you, if I understood it correctly. So that's just one more really um, innovative and uh, great um, feature that you're adding to not just the employees of, of Cook, but also everybody in that community. Yeah. And I want to talk about the grocery store in a second here, but I, I want to ask you a question. So, you know, you've had experience both in the hospital side and uh, in the providers or in the, in the device side, right? Um, and yes. so... You know, I, I want to ask you, so when I talked about this project, right, I, on the manufacturing side, it's hard to get companies to think this way, what I just described, which is, you know, hey, you're going to build a building. Why not think about someone in a neighborhood that's really looking for opportunity? The reason I say that is because, you know, right now we're all dealing with a shortage of workers, but in Indianapolis, we have a hundred people lined up waiting on a waiting list for jobs there. It's a very different dynamic. And so I, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, you've seen it, you know, you've thought about it. How do we get more companies to think about that, to think about those opportunities and how to how to help our own neighborhoods that are that are maybe challenged right now? Yeah, I, I think there's probably a lot of um, some stereotypes or myths or misconceptions about what you talked about. Right. You're you know, am I going to be able to find the quality worker? Am I is it going to cost me too much? Am I going to be able to spend the time and the money and effort? And am I going to get the payback? And as you said, you know, you, you did it for the right reason, but they're an altruistic reason, but there was also some, some real needs. You had to, you had a capacity issue. You needed to do that. And you also wanted to make a, a change in, in the community. And I'm guessing if you knew how much people would rally around you after the fact, it would have made that decisions, you know, much easier and, and quicker for you. But I think that's part of the, part of the roadblock is we all have a lot of uh, quality pressures and cost pressures and, um, I don't know that we allow ourselves time to think innovatively like that and, and, and outside the box and, and go after some of these folks that just haven't had the opportunity and don't fit the normal manufacturing or ID and uh, mold. And I, I know we're facing a little bit with our team as far as, you know, everyone has to have some level of experience to come in the back door and fighting back against that. And, you know, why? Why can't we get the right person with the right behaviors, right mindset, right work ethic, and we train them? And then we mm -hmm. train them the way we wanted to train them. And um, honestly, that goes back to my Honda days where we always wanted somebody new because they had a clean slate. They didn't come with a bunch of bad training and bad habits. And so we could train them the way we wanted to and put the right kind of work ethic and habits uh, into their into their normal daily behaviors. It's interesting you say that because that's the that's one of the approaches we've been trying to get organizations to think about is think about individuals as people and what their potential is and what attributes they bring that would allow you to them to be trainable and to have the values that you want as an organization. 
we're really good as organizations of imparting training that's specific to our businesses. You know, um, schools can't do that as well. They can give you capabilities, but they can't give you the, the organizational specific requirements. And I think that if organizations understand that, they can take somebody who just says with a blank slate and impart that to them. I'll give you an example. We tried that same, we're, we're still doing that same philosophy around high school diplomas. So uh, we had a, in our area down here in Bloomington, where our headquarters is and our largest manufacturer, we have 25,000 people in sort of our employment area who are of working age, but don't have a high school diploma. And so that's an untapped, those are people who are usually underemployed. Right. Um, and so we had the requirement of, Hey, we, we required a high school diploma. And we started asking ourselves, why, what, what is the, what is the reason for that? And there wasn't any, it was just the requirement that we had. So we said, let's get rid of that and let's do that. Let's find good people and say, we'll get you the high school diploma with great partners in our community. It didn't cost us anything. Our, they, these, these partners loved it. They said, Hey, yeah, sure. We'll step up and provide that education. So it didn't cost us anything. Uh, so we allowed employees to come in and work part-time in the morning and then on the afternoon go to school. And then they come out of that with a high school diploma and they work full-time. And we actually paid people that full-time. Again, it didn't cost us that much, but now you get an employee who's a partner with you because they're like, wow, you've changed my trajectory. You've changed my life. And uh, it's just fascinating to see. So I, I, I'm, I applaud you for taking that approach and thinking that way because I don't think a lot of organizations do. I think it's hard for people to think that way. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, challenges, and I think COVID and the lack of workers have really forced us to rethink um, things that were kind of taken as, as as givens or normals that couldn't be changed. So, I, and I think you just destroyed one of them. So, that's, congratulations on that. Um, you know, how can we um, as leaders of manufacturing organizations and providers work together? You know, what do, what do you think are the opportunities, and and what do you think um, are the barriers? You talked a little bit about lack of innovation and speed of innovation. Um, I'm wondering if that's part of it, but just be really interested to get your perspective on that. Yeah, you know, I I'm a sort of a student of the history of Cook and how we came to be and what that was. And if you go back and you look at the history of it, it really is was sort of Bill Cook as the founder. He was a a visionary entrepreneur, but he also was a relationship person. So he had tremendous relationships with physicians and he was extremely curious about what they were doing, how they did their work, what tools they needed. How do we make those procedures better? How do I, how do I make your job better? And he was just always on that mode, right? He, that was what he was. And we went through a period of probably 40 years of just this explosion of technology and minimally invasive medicine and all the world was going. And we're still on that same pathway. Um, but it's gotten longer, right? So he would tell a story of, boy, we'd get an idea from a physician. We'd go back to the back room with the engineers. We'd make it, and the next day we're shipping it. Well, that's not quite the way it is anymore, right? <laughs> For a lot of good reasons. But uh, in that same project now, if we have the idea to get into a physician's hand, it's probably three to five years. So the speed, right. the speed has slowed down a lot. So that's, you know, I, I, I like that aspect of the partnership idea thinking. And I think where the next... 20 or 30 years, I, there will always be product innovation that will come in a different form. But I do think an area that the providers and, and companies have the opportunity to innovate on is the delivery of healthcare, the way that, and the delivery of, and the, not the delivery, but the consumption of data. So if I think about it, I think about some of your challenges and I've talked to people in your position, right? You're trying to figure out how do I deliver this care to an ever increasingly older population and people have their, their, their more needs from these patients. How do I deliver great services to them? How do I deliver quality healthcare? But us as providers, we're asking those same questions. How do we help you do that? But we don't have the ability to share insights or data 
right? So I, I look at what your data you're collecting and we have data about our products, but those two things don't meet very often. Uh, they do in some instances around complaint reporting or, um, you know, just clinical trials, that sort of thing. But I think about, you know, the tremendous amount of data that you're seeing about outcomes of patients on a real-time basis and the feedback that we have, right? How do we connect those two things so that we can help you deliver healthcare more efficiently and more effectively in, in a better quality care for your patient? We're starting to see that in some ways where data is becoming more usable. But I do think it's a huge barrier we've got to overcome is somehow we have to be able to go back to a point where we can get together and say, okay, let's talk about a patient who's going through a, an endograph procedure. Let's talk about what their state at the hospital looks like, how long it takes for them to recover, what are some of the things that we're seeing that we're trying to do to make it more less invasive, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we're not, I don't think we should just be collaborating on the device itself. We need to be collaborating holistically about the experience of that patient within the healthcare system. And that's what we're trying to think about. It's, you know, it's not easy. Uh, data privacy issues coming along and all this sort of stuff. But I do think that we're going to have to find a way to work together because, you know, the, the, care that you can provide is a lot of way dependent on your supply chain and the way you're able to deliver services. Right. No, I would agree. And it feels like there's a, there's a big trust issue, but also the data privacy issue that we need to figure, figure out a way to, to get, get through that. Um, what would you say is the one thing you've learned over the past three years about your people or processes that you'll continue into the future? And we talked a little bit before the call about COVID and, and living through that. So I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of change in the last three years. Oh, for sure. I, it's changed almost everything. I, the one thing I would say to people, I always say to our leadership team is we have to acknowledge the world has changed and it's forever changed. And if you don't think so, we're going to be left behind. Um, one, one of the, just a simple thing I will give you is we were always a traditionally a work from office culture. We were, you know, Bill Cook was, in the office at 4 a.m. and was the last one out the door. He was that, you know, that rigid entrepreneur and really everybody loved working that. The, what happened during the pandemic, of course, was everybody went home. And there was a significant pucker factor around that, I will tell you, because we weren't <laughs> sure how we were going to do that and how we were going to continue to operate and, and what we were doing. But what happened was, is we got better. <laughs> Unbelievably so. I never would have expected it, but we got better. We got more efficient. We got more connected globally. We got more focused on what our projects were, the work that needed to be done. And so that for me has changed. We're, we're now a hybrid workforce. Um, we allow people to come and go as they see fit. And, and I have lunch every week with about 25 of our hybrid employees. And I got to tell you, I feel like our productivity is better. Our ability to connect with each other is better. Um, you know, we're trying to find ways to get people connected internally. And everybody still wants human connection, but they want it in a way that's valuable. Right. They don't want a mandate that says come in every two days just because they want something that's valuable, which is fair enough. So I think that's forever change. That's a small example, but you know, I look at the the way that we think about our supply chain. I'm sure you guys think about your supply chain more carefully now than what you ever have before. Uh, redundancy in supply chain and making sure where you know where it's coming from and all those sorts of things are changing our world forever. So just about every aspect of business has changed. Uh, I don't even know. I'm not even sure what's the same, to be honest. There's so many things that are different uh, after COVID. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, you have your global presence. You have over 10,000 employees worldwide. How, how do you keep that synergy and culture uh, throughout Cook with that kind of, uh, you know, layout across the world? Wow, I think it's really about uh, our leadership team. 
uh, and the experience that our employees receive. I, what I always find fascinating is we actually have about 12,000 employees globally, I would say now today. The, uh, you can go into a cook facility anywhere in the world and it feels like a cook facility. And the people feel like cook people. And they speak different languages, different cultures, but somehow that culture overrides it all and it, and it sort of uh, becomes everything that sort of binds everybody together. I don't know how we've done it over 60 years, to be honest. I don't know. I wasn't there for the first 40, but we spend a lot of time talking about it now and, and how do we maintain that. It's about the people that you hire and the values they have. We have our values posted everywhere. We hold everybody accountable, living to our values. And, um, you know, it's what you create. I, you know, everybody talks about Elon Musk and Twitter right now, right? And what he's creating. He's creating something very different than what we are. He's creating uh, an environment where people sleep on their, on their couches in their office or on their floor in the office. And, and that's okay. You can create that culture. And the idea is that people stay there for three years and they do something incredible and they move on. But what we're trying to create is something sustainable and lasting. It's been going on for another 60 years. Those are very different things. And so you have to make your choice about what culture you want to create. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sustainability is something and the different type of sustainability than what you just talked about um, is it's something that's much more important and becoming more important in the industry, you know, especially to our provider members. Can you talk about your thoughts on sustainability? Yeah, it's something that's obviously important to us. It's important to our customers. So we hear from our customers a lot. They're focused on it. They want to know about their supply chain and what they're mm-hmm. doing uh, to make sure they're responsible stewards of the, the resources we have. So, you know, we, 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 it, every part of our organization is touched by it. Simple things like making sure every one of our manufacturing facilities or entities is 14,001 14, certified. That gives you a sort of a foundation of how do you make sure you're continuing to evolve and improve. We don't have it figured out yet. I'll tell you that. I don't, I'm not sure anybody does, but we're, we're still getting better all the time. But, you know, I, I think about this summer we put, boy, I'm not sure how many square feet of solar panels, but a lot. Let <laughs> me just put it that way. Uh, and a lot of solar panels across our facilities, realizing that these roof spaces that we have on our million square foot manufacturing facility could be used and could be used in a productive way. Thinking about how we deal with uh, waste in terms of the products that we make. I know that's probably an issue for you guys as customers is mm-hmm. medical waste is a problem. Uh, so how do we reduce that and how do we think about reusability and things? So uh, it touches every part of the organization just as a business, but also particularly the healthcare. It's interesting to think about. Um, because we have unique issues in the sense that, you know, once it's used on a patient, it really isn't going to go back into the supply chain. Right. Absolutely. Well, Pete, I know how valuable your time is. So, uh, you know, on behalf of SMI, I just want to thank you for participating in this podcast. You know, it was great talking to you today. Um, learn more about your background, your strategies and about Cook. Uh, I really enjoyed my time with you. So I wish you and everyone at Cook Medical uh, a really happy holidays and, and all the best for 2023. So thanks again. and Take care. Yeah, same to you, Sam. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. Cheers. We hope that you enjoyed this Conversations with podcast. We are especially grateful to Sam Banks from Indiana University Health and Pete Yonkman from Cook Medical. We hope to see you soon on our next SMI Conversations with podcast. Thank you.